Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. What Became of Dr. Smith by artist Noah Satterstrom is on view now through September 22, 2024. Learn more at msmuseumart.org. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. Welcome to the Mississippi Arts Hour, a weekly conversation with creative Mississippians from across the state. I'm Sarah Story, the Executive Director of the Mississippi Arts Commission. And today we are joined by Adrian Brown David, who is a visual artist based in Water Valley, Mississippi. Welcome, Adrian. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. So um, for those who may not know, will you describe where Water Valley is in our state? So Water Valley is a tiny little town of about 3,500, about 25 minutes south of Oxford, Mississippi. So that's kind of, hill. is that considered hill country, hill country Mississippi yet? Hill, hill country. Yeah, that's close enough. <laughs> it's, a lo- it's a lovely little town though. Actually, I lived there from about 20, see 2009 to 2012. Yeah, I like it. It's cute. That's fine. So for those who don't know you yet, we just describe um, a little bit about yourself now in your life and then we'll we'll go backward and talk a little bit about uh, your past and how you came to where you are today. Well I like you said currently live in Water Valley. Um, We've been in Mississippi for 12 years now. Um, I moved here when I was pregnant with my fourth daughter so we live in Water Valley with just two of our daughters now two are college age and have moved out and moved on with things in their lives. I am mostly a figurative painter. Right now I'm focusing mainly on portraits, um, but my work's always been figurative since I started painting. Um, I just relocated to a studio outside of my home for the first time ever, which is pretty great. Um, So I can produce a lot more work and a lot bigger work than I could when I was off the little room in my kitchen. And yeah, that's about it. I live here with my husband and our two kids and dog and three cats. To <laughs> <laughs> whatever other animals my youngest child brings in our house. That's pretty fun. Yeah, I got I got to see your studio a couple weeks ago and it's pretty nice. Yeah, it's been great so far. Could, as long as it doesn't rain super hard. Yeah. Then <laughs> things are pretty good. That's good. Well, great. So tell us a little bit about um, where you're from. Where did you grow up? Well, I'm originally from St. Louis, Missouri, um, and I lived there until shortly after I turned 21. Uh, My entire family is there. My grandparents live there. So like like third generation St. Louisan. Um, And then in 2000, shortly after my 21st birthday, I moved to St. Croix in the U.S. Virgin Islands, and I lived there for nine years before we relocated to Mississippi. That's incredible. What brought you to St. Croix? I was 21 and didn't really have a whole lot of other things going on in St. Louis. I didn't really have a job that was holding me there. I wasn't in school anymore. Um, I had a friend who'd moved to St. Croix to go to school and I went to visit them and was just like, oh, I could live here. And so I did. (laughs) That's awesome. So you just, you just moved there with 
did you move with a job, without a job? So I went to visit in November of 99, shortly before my 21st birthday. And then I moved mid-January of 2000, like right after I turned 21. And I moved on a Saturday um, and started working at a coffee shop on Monday, which was kind of bananas. (laughs) Yeah. Despite the fact that everybody in St. Croix speaks English, it is definitely not the English that I spoke when I moved to St. Croix. And oh, so interesting. The hardest time understanding anyone which made a job in the service industry ridiculous. I don't know why I thought that was a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> but it made, it made me catch on to the like language differences really quickly. Um, And so I did that for a little while. And eventually I realized I really hated the service industry. Um, And so I was sort of a beach bum for a couple of years and just sort of drew portraits. And like I provided childcare for my landlord in exchange for very, very cheap rent, which was pretty. Um, And then, you know, had a couple of kids and met my husband and had some more kids. (laughs) Then we were like, oh, we really can't afford a family this large on an island this small. (laughs) Pricey. And I had a cousin, my cousin lives in, well, she lived in Oxford at the time. She moved to Oxford around the same time I moved to St. Croix. Um, And so she was like, you should come live here. It's clean and it's quiet and it's artsy and you don't have to take the kids back to the city. And so we moved to Oxford, Mississippi, sight unseen with three kids in tow and five months pregnant <laughs> we've wow. been that's amazing what was it like living on an island was it um different than than life here I miss it every day <laughs> I mean it was it was expensive and so we lived in a tiny little pink house with our three children which was fine with our three children but then once we found out we were having a fourth um we were gonna have to move into a bigger place and so that was going to be expensive. Utilities are really expensive. Mm. Um, everything's so insular that like, you know, they can just make up prices. And like, right. <laughs> gonna, nobody's going to be able to do anything about it. And so utilities like skyrocketed 300% over the course of like a summer. Ooh. The tourism industry was really shaky. And so the economy was just really shaky when we were there. Um, and that on type on top of the cost of just feeding all of us um like people talk about how expensive it is to live here right now and I'm just like I was paying seven dollars a box for cereal in St. Croix in 2006 wow (laughs) I'm just like this is nothing we were spending 150 dollars every three days on groceries and our kids were tiny that's crazy I was still nursing saying one of them so she wasn't even eating the actual <laughs> food but outside of the cost of living the environment was really great like it's mm-hmm. just 83 degrees and sunny 365 days a year you're never more than 10 minutes away from the ocean mm-hmm. everything green all the time like the vibe is just a lot more laid back and a lot slower and a lot more chill which actually takes a little bit of time to get used to when you come from the states Mm -hmm. but then get used to it um you really don't want to have to go back (laughs) you don't want to have to go back to like rushing around and everything being go 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 all the time 
Um, and so that was sort of nice. That was one of the nice things about moving to Mississippi is that it still sort of has that laid back pace. Um, we didn't go straight from Island to St. Louis or Island to DC, which is where my husband is from, um, which I think would have been an even bigger culture shock for the kids when they were little. They love right. it now. I wish we had moved to DC. <laughs> of course. Well, <laughs> grass is always greener. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, what was it like for you growing up? Did you live a creative life? Were you um, painting back then, or did that come later in life? I've always been a pretty artsy kid. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, I grew up in the city, so there wasn't a lot of like nature or anything like that. And so, like, I, I drew pictures a lot. I would draw on the sidewalks. Um, because I grew up in the city, there was always like chunks of bricks and those like weird white gravelly rocks and I would use those and draw on the sidewalk in front of my house um my mom always provided you know stuff for me to use to draw my grandmother used to keep her paper grocery bags and crayons and like the smooth white cardboard insert from her pantyhose container which were my favorites because they were like perfect and white and clean and pristine and um, so she would keep those for me to draw on. And the older I got, the more my mom was like, okay, this kid is really into art. And so she got me into art classes and she started volunteering at a, a African-American art gallery in St. Louis. So I could just constantly be surrounded by art. Um, and so by the time I got to be a teenager, I was just so used to being immersed in the arts all the time and like being able to draw and paint. Well, not paint as much because my mom was kind of a, a neat freak. <laughs> so me and paint were not a thing that she was going to let happen. But I drew a lot, lots of color pencils, you know, things that were easy to clean up. Um, and, you know, my family just made sure that I had that as an outlet. They made sure that I was exposed to that as much as possible. Um, and so it just gave me the space to just be a sort of creative kid um, without a whole lot of like guidelines and rules and like you can't do art and like some people's parents you know went through that like you can't make a living as an artist but my mom made sure to see that like yes you can like <laughs> there right. are people who are artists there are people who just create art there are people that look like you who just create art and live on that. And so like, that was really important for me to see throughout my, you know, childhood and teenage years. Yeah. That's such a gift that she gave you. That's great. Um, yeah. so, so did you um, go to, did you, were you able to take lessons in school? Did, did art in school play a part in any of your education or was it mostly extra? I took every art class that I could possibly take in high school <laughs> and then I took art classes on weekends so the gallery that my mom worked at provided art classes for kids and so I took painting I took photography I took furniture painting we painted murals around the city like we did all sorts of things and so my weekends were pretty much spent in art classes from the time I was in middle school until I probably graduated high school. Um, and then that the year that I graduated high school before I went away to college, I was part of a program that did this huge mural in downtown St. Louis that was like a square city block. They were, they had boarded up some stuff and they had like 
whatever those boards are that they put around construction sites. And so several artists were invited to create pieces downtown. And so I was one of the artists and definitely the youngest artist. Everybody else was, you know, established in their thirties or whatever. And I was like 18. Okay. <laughs> Painting this giant mural. Um, and so that was really fun. So I definitely took all the art classes that I could in high school and middle school. I didn't take, I tell my kids all the time, I didn't, I never took chemistry. I never took physics. I never took a foreign language in high school. All of those classes were art classes. Um, and so uh, after I graduated, I spent a year at the Art Institute in Chicago. Um, and then after that, I was just like, this school costs a fortune. <laughs> yeah. We cannot afford to keep giving them a fortune every year. And so I left the Art Institute. And then shortly after that, I moved to St. Croix. So other than the price, what did, did you enjoy the Art Institute of Chicago? What was that like I did, for you? I, it was great to to be around a bunch of people that felt familiar um because even though like i was surrounded by artists growing up i was not surrounded by a lot of kids who were into art mm -hmm. and so it was cool to be in an environment where everybody was sort of into the same kinds of things that i was into it, like i wasn't the weirdo like i wasn't <laughs> the weird kid that dressed weird and drew pictures like that just wasn't my reality anymore and so that was really nice um I really appreciated um the exposure to like the broader art scene mm -hmm. like St. Louis has a lot of art but it's nowhere near like Chicago <laughs> Chicago's art scene is huge and so it was really great to have that um it was great to have access to studios where I could be messy and like it, no one was complaining about me cleaning up because everybody was messy. Um, and so, yeah, I definitely really appreciated that. It, what did you think about Chicago? Was it, did you feel like it was um, a big change from St. Louis? Well, I have family in Chicago. And so I've been to Chicago lots of times growing up um, and Chicago remains one of my favorite cities. I haven't been in years and years and years, but I've been saying forever that I need to take my kids because none of them have ever been. Um, but I really love Chicago. I personally per prefer Chicago to New York <laughs> because it's a little smaller. Mm -hmm. It's a little less intense, but it still has the same like everything. Like it just has everything and it's always moving. It's always going 24 hours a day. It just isn't quite as giant I guess is New York um and so yeah I really love Chicago that's awesome so when you went to uh the island to live did you did your art change very much um when you went from Chicago to the island did your surroundings uh change the way that you were creating yes so before I moved to St. Croix I really feel like my art was more like copying types of things that I'd seen other people do mm -hmm. and type of work that I'd seen other people do. At the same time, that may have also just been my age. I was 20 years old. And so like, that's what I was doing. Um, moving to St. Croix made me push my art a little more about what I wanted to say with my work as opposed to just recreating things that I'd seen. Um, 
but honestly the biggest change in my work came after I had kids and like so motherhood became a huge component of what my work looked like and what my work talked about and what my work represented um and so that happened while I was on the island but it wasn't necessarily um wasn't necessarily because of St. Croix itself. This is Sarah Story, the Executive Director of the Mississippi Arts Commission. You are listening to the podcast version of the Mississippi Arts Hour. To have access to all Arts Hour interviews, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen to the show on MPB Think Radio every Sunday afternoon at 5 p.m. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back to the Mississippi Arts Hour. Today we're joined by Adrian Brown David, a visual artist in Water Valley, Mississippi. So glad to have you here, Adrian. Thanks. So right before the break, we were talking about um, your move to the island of St. Croix and how having kids actually changed your art and environment with children. You want to t- start talking a little bit more about that? Well, before I had kids, like my life pretty much was centered around painting and sort of doing whatever, whatever I wanted to do, however I wanted to do it. But then children, you know, take up a lot of time, a lot of space, a lot of energy, a lot of brain power, (laughs) just a lot of everything. And so my art practice really had to change. I had to be very intentional about the time that I had to do things and very intentional about my materials um, because things like oil paint don't work well with toddlers. Mm. (laughs) It's not not a good combination. Um, I definitely learned that the hard way before I (laughs) shifted things a little bit. Um, And so it made me just more aware of how I produce work and how I use that time. Um, And so I always say having kids made me work so much faster. Like I've always painted sort of quickly and worked sort of quickly. Like I have a very clear image of what I want in front of me and I know how to get to that point. Um, But it was even faster. Like I had to come up with a, you know, a routine for how I get things down, how I get things on camera, how I communicate things. Um, because I may only have 20 minutes. I may only have 10 minutes. Like kids' naps might not line up. So I might not be able to work for, you know, five days or whatever. And so um, I just shifted a little bit with my material. So like I said, oil paint was not a thing I could do anymore. And so I started doing a lot of mixed media work, um, work that I could like put down really quickly with materials that would dry really quickly. Um, I did a lot more drawing than I had been doing for a while. Um, I utilized my sketchbook a lot more because once I had, you know, two kids, three kids, four kids, like there really was just no time. And I've, I homeschooled my kids and I've homeschooled them since they were 
little bitty. And so homeschooling takes up a lot of time on top of, you know, babies and toddlers and all of that. And so my sketchbook became a huge component of my practice. Um, and so I had to think a little differently about my work. Like my sketchbook work was the first time that I'd stopped doing figurative work. Um, just because I didn't have the time to devote to that. And so I started doing these little doodles of tiny houses and these crazy, like, precarious conglomerations <laughs> of tiny houses um, because it was something that I could do quickly. It, you know, it kept my hand exercise, my eye, you know, trained and all of those things that I needed to do larger work, even though I didn't have the time to do the larger work. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was a focus for years um, while my kids were all little. Mm -hmm. um, I really just got back into being able to, to really paint like with oil paint in the last maybe seven years. Let's see, my, old, my youngest is 12. So maybe in the last like seven or eight years, mm -hmm. I've been able to get back into my oil painting. Um, but before that, there was a lot of drawings, a lot of color pencil drawings, mm -hmm. a lot of like pen and ink drawings because everybody was so little and that's what I could do after they went to bed or while they were napping or while they were doing assignments for school or whatever. And so like my experience with them has shifted the type of work that I do, um, the scale of work that I do, the subject matter of the work that I do. Um, and so, yeah, they've had a huge effect on my work in all sorts of ways. That's amazing. Yeah, did they, um, so were you showing or selling your work in, on um, the island or were you just doing art for yourself? Um, I did both. I had shows while I was there. Um, I had my first solo show when I was in St. Croix. Um, I did a group show. They have a group show there every year that's part of a fundraiser for one of the private schools. Okay. Um, and so I would do that one every year. Um, and so, yeah, I did a few things. I was part of a calendar, which was, <laughs> I completely forgot oh, out until just now. <laughs> like, oh yeah, I had work in a calendar that year. Yeah, I did a few things, a few things there. That's awesome. So how did your subject matter change um, when you had children? So on top of, you know, right now my work is mainly comprised of portraits of my children or figurative pieces of my children. Um, but before I could really get into painting really well, like I did a lot of um, nature drawings, which are a hundred percent because I spent so much time in the woods with my kids for homeschooling. And so we started doing forest school um, and farm school maybe six years ago. Um, and so we would spend a full day out in the woods with friends and kids would just explore and discover things on their own. And they pretty much had free reign. They've been going to the same spots in the woods for more than half their lives. Mm -hmm. And so they know those spots really well. They know the types of things that grow in those spots really well. And so wh while we were doing that, I would keep a journal and that journal would have all of these drawings of things that I would find that the kids would find. There was like little snippets of poetry in it or like what the weather was like that day or if the kids personalities were weird that day. And so like I have a full year visual journal of our time outside 
here in Mississippi and what we saw and when things started to bloom and like, and so I can go back to that and reference it, but it became a big part of the drawings that I would show. So I would do bigger nature drawings, drawings with birds and mushrooms and flowers. They were all local that I had observed at some point in the woods with my kids. And I would incorporate that with like other drawings of my girls and, you know, little bits of writing that I thought was significant. Um, and so that was definitely a change, like being from St. Louis, nature <laughs> was not a part mm -hmm. of anything that I was thinking about really. Like nature was scary. You know? Right. <laughs> out in the woods if you're from the city you're not trying to go in the woods like <laughs> it's not a thing that anybody is encouraging you to do <laughs> so that definitely came with you know homeschooling my kids being in a different environment the things that my kids are interested in so they enjoyed being outside they enjoyed exploring things they enjoyed getting dirty and like finding bugs and you know all the things that kids do when they're outside my kids really enjoyed that and so it became a part of what I created and how I created it that's awesome um so yeah tell us a little bit more about what you've been doing this past year so I actually heard about you um when I moved back to Mississippi I guess in November or December because you were during the pandemic you decided to do uh, or was it before the pandemic you decided to do one painting a day for a year so it I decided to do it in December and like I asked my teenagers what they thought about this project we were on a day trip to Memphis and it was just me and my older two girls for whatever reason and I'd had this idea like maybe I'll do a little painting every single day I just really needed some I was like I need something that I'm doing every day because we had all been in the house for a year or whatever and we we're all just sort of floating around and doing whatever we could <laughs> we could think of to do mm -hmm. for the year that we were all stuck in the house and so I was like I need something that's regular that I could do every single day that I can get into a routine of doing every single day and so I had the idea of creating one small painting every day and then posting it on Instagram. It was like, so I was like, what do you guys think if I did a painting a day? Posted it on Instagram and, you know, let it go for a hundred dollars. <laughs> like that seems like a doable amount of money. And so my oldest was like, mom, that's a really good idea. I think you should do it. Um, and so starting January 1st, I've been painting a five by seven painting every single day. I have not missed a day yet. I'm on day 263, I think was today. Wow. Um, and so I have not missed a single day. Um, and the first day I posted the painting, January 1st, the first day I posted, um, it took 15 minutes for someone to buy it. Wow. Um, the second day I posted, it took 30 seconds and from the third day until now it takes on average <laughs> a second wow and with that first second I have three people and so like it's been really crazy I definitely didn't expect that to be the 
outcome of it, but it's been really fun to watch. It's been really interesting to see where the pieces go. I've sent pieces to London. I've sent pieces wow. to Canada. I think a piece ended up in Spain at one point. <laughs> one person commented from Hong Kong and she was like, just send it to my parents in Washington. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so it's been really interesting just to see the response that people have and how much people have enjoyed it. And lots of people are like, I haven't gotten one, but I really love just seeing it in my feed every day. Um, and so I've really enjoyed that. I've really enjoyed people enjoying my work, even if they are just seeing it on their timeline every day. And so every day between 10 and 11, you can pretty much guarantee unless something unforeseen happens, we have had several incidents that have made paintings late but I have yet to miss one <laughs> that's incredible 263 that's awesome and and just in case people don't know what it you share your Instagram handle oh yeah I'm at Adrian Michelle and so Adrian is A-D-R-I-E-N-N-E and Michelle is M-E-S-C-H-E-L-L-E -L -L -E. no capital letters no spaces and it is fun I agree I enjoy seeing it in my feed <laughs> I'm on Instagram it's cool and you paint your children right your children are the subject of all of these every single one has been a picture of my kids except for I think I painted one that wasn't my kid but you couldn't see their face hmm. and so um, it was just a profile and occasionally I paint another kid with my kid if I have but you know 99% of the time it's going to be a picture of my kid I have 10,000 pictures of my children and so I figured I could find 365 of them that's amazing <laughs> and we we talk a little bit about what um what inspired to paint your children like well you know why they have become the subject matter they're just here all the time they're all <laughs> because I homeschool like the, the people I see all the time and so like it's been really fun you know capturing their growth as human beings and so it started out with me painting my tiny cute adorable children out playing and being cute but now most of my kids look like women like adult women mm -hmm. and so that's what my subject matter looks like now and so it's it's fun to actually watch my work change with my children because I can't paint them the same way that I did when they were, you know, eight and four and six and 10 or whatever. Right. And so, um, yeah, I actually really enjoy painting them because they change so quickly and so much that my work has to change with it. And I really like that sort of evolution and change in the work. This is Sarah Story, the Executive Director of the Mississippi Arts Commission. You are listening to the podcast version of the Mississippi Arts Hour. To have access to all Arts Hour interviews, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen to the show on MPB Think Radio every Sunday afternoon at 5 p.m. Hi, I'm Jason Klein from Fix It 101. If you ever thought about changing a doorknob or fixing a leaky faucet, some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back to the Mississippi Arts Hour. I'm Sarah Story, the Executive Director of the Mississippi Arts Commission. 
And today we're speaking with Adrian Brown David, who's a visual artist based in Water Valley, Mississippi. So Adrian, um, we were talking about how your art and your practice has changed so much with the evolution of your kids and in what age they are. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that, about how that's just changed over the years? Well, now my kids are 20, 18, 14, and 12. And so when I first started painting my kids, they were probably, you know, 10, 8, <laughs> 6, and 2 or something. <laughs> and so what their life looked like was very different than what it looks like now. So when they were all little, lots of their time was spent outside. There was lots of like twirly dresses and rain boots and, you know, them running through fields and exploring and discovering things. And so that's all really cute and it's all really whimsical. And, you know, that all feels really nice to paint because it's very cute and very whimsical. And then they hit 13. And it is not the same. <laughs> it's not the same person that you know was wearing a twirly dress and rain boots and running through the fields. Like they become very different people. And so capturing that shift um, from cute, fluffy-haired girl to you know pre-woman stages of like attitudes and eye rolling and the body language difference clothing difference like one of my kids got really into like super shiny lip gloss and so like every picture I have of her she's just got like the shiniest lips you could ever imagine <laughs> and so all of my paintings are of her are like these selfie style portraits with like super shiny lip gloss covered lip <laughs> one just got into really big earrings and head wraps and so like all of the paintings of her became like big earrings and head wraps and like you know the attitude starts to come out like when you pull out a camera like immediately the face changes and so like all of those things are captured mm -hmm. in the work as my kids develop and the work starts to change and so now even that has begun to change because I have two that are one that's not a teenager anymore one that's on her way out she's lost the attitude because she's old enough to like understand what is happening in adult minds a little bit and so like even that's now starting to change. And I have one just coming into the like attitude-y teenager thing, which is weird because she's the, the main subject of the cute twirly dresses one. And she's not that kid anymore. <laughs> like, mm. That's not who she is. And so the work, you know, featuring her is starting to look different. Um, and so it's just fun to watch the progress of my kids and then recreate that progress on canvas um, and to really just capture and appreciate all of those stages um, because it's so often that those stages aren't appreciated. Like nobody appreciates their kid rolling their eyes at them. Like <laughs> nobody, nobody appreciates the time where your little girl who's been your little girl for, forever starts to want to be a woman. Like that's not a thing that is, is celebrated often, um, but all of those things are important. Um, and I feel like they are 
specifically important in girls and boys who are black and brown in America, like their changes are not appreciated mm -hmm. <laughs> at all. And so I really want my work to celebrate those things, even when I personally don't love every minute of those things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I know that it's a part of them becoming the women that they're going to be and, you know, making space for themselves in the world and being able to express themselves and create boundaries for themselves. Um, and as much as I sometimes just want them to like fall in line and <laughs> do that them to do I understand that that's a part of their development and so I like celebrating that part of that their development and capturing that part of their development in a really beautiful way or in a way that I think is beautiful yeah that's awesome that's it sounds like the the practice of painting allows you to be more reflective as a mother it has it has definitely <laughs> that's amazing definitely. yeah that's really cool so tell us a little bit um, about your show coming up at Southside. It opens in October. Yes. Yeah, so October 3rd, I believe it's either the 3rd or the 5th, but I'm pretty sure it's the 3rd. Um, I have a solo show at Southside Gallery in Oxford, Mississippi. Um, it's my first solo show at Southside. It's not my first solo show, but my first solo show there. Um, and the show is entitled The Space Between. Um, and so each piece is a celebration of that space between, say, girlhood and womanhood, that space between ideas and action, like that quick moment between one space and another space um, that's often overlooked. Um, it, that's what I wanted to focus on in this body of work. And so there will be 20-ish pieces. <laughs> Wow, that's awesome. Um, portraits, um, all brightly colored, which is new for me. Most of my work is black, white, blue, and yellow. So a lot of people know me for like black girls in yellow fields with blue sky. Um, and so this is a full spectrum of color. It's a super colorful show. Um, I'm really excited about it. I'm really excited about, you know, showing the work and hoping that people get where I'm going with the pieces um and so yeah I'm really looking forward to that so hopefully people come out <laughs> it's absolutely it's going to be great and um we talk a little bit about the size of the work in this um show so there's a variety of sizes most of them are fairly large um I prefer to work fairly large um so the smallest one is probably 15 by 15 um and that's the tiniest one. The largest one is 48 by 48. Um, most of them are going to fall somewhere between like 24 by 24 and 24 by 36, but they're, you know, fairly large pieces, um, fairly large scale portraiture. Some of them are larger than life. Quite a few of them are larger than life size. Um, and so, yeah. <laughs> That's exciting, especially um, for those who've been following your smaller work on Instagram and um, just the little intimate paintings. I think this will be a real treat for people to see a completely different perspective and just really get lost in, in a huge, big attitude filled <laughs> piece of work. <laughs> 
so the fun part is a lot of these images people probably have seen the tiny ones because I also use them as like my painting sketches and so like images that I really like I like dog-eared for lack of a better word and like okay I'll revisit that one bigger I want to do this one bigger like I want to reimagine this one I want to explore this one a little more um I typically don't work small I don't I don't love working small and so like these tiny ones have been you know they've been something <laughs> because they are little and they are and so I've just been looking at it every day as like this is my sketch like this is my painting sketch for something that I want to do, you know, later. Or this is my practice for how to do this thing or this type of lighting or this type of skin tone. Something quick and small that I don't have to really commit to. And then I can use that to translate into a bigger piece later that I'm going to spend more time on and like pay more attention to. But now I've had the, the practice and like these are the types of colors that I want to use. This is the type of contrast that I want to use. These are the type of strokes that I want to see in this piece. And so they've been great for that. But typically I don't work five by seven. That's not <laughs> that is not my size. I'm a I like large scale paintings a lot more. That's awesome. So tell us a little bit about um, the community of Water Valley. Have you found community in the artists and and around Water Valley? Water Valley is a weird little bubble of artists and writers and musicians that I did not even realize really when I moved out here. Like I sort of knew because Water Valley does an art crawl every year. And so before we lived out here, I used to drive out to the art crawl. It's one night a year. And so I would drive out to Water Valley. And when we first moved to Oxford, Water Valley seemed so far away. I was just like, where in the world are we going? <laughs> and so I would come out to Art Crawl and walk around. And I was like, oh, this is cool. I was really mostly just being nosy and trying to see the insides of people's houses, which mm -hmm. a lot of people do at Art Crawl. Um, and then, you know, after a few years of doing that, I had to convince my husband to move out here because he was not in love with small town living. He was just like, I don't know what we're doing here. <laughs> and so it was difficult to convince him to move to a smaller town. Like that was, that was really difficult. Um, and so I was like, we could get so much more house for so much less money. Mm -hmm. And so that was our main driving force. Like I knew a couple of people that lived out here, but then once I got out here, I was like, oh, like everybody over here does some sort of art. <laughs> like yeah. somebody's a musician, somebody's a quilter, somebody's a photographer. And so it was just like, oh, this is where all the artists live. <laughs> because it's so much cheaper than living in Oxford that makes sense like you're still close enough to drive but far enough away to spend half as much on a place to live I guess um and so yeah that's been really great I have like a great little friend set out here all of them are artists in their own right more artists are moving out here every day so that's awesome and there's a little grocery store and some restaurants so it's not <laughs> bookstore there's still a bookstore out there right yeah there is one of everything yeah that's i mean that's great yeah that's all you need we have the one little grocery store a little restaurant a bookstore awesome. everything's on main street it's a very very cute town so yeah, what else I, 
what else are you looking forward to? Um, so I'm kind of looking forward to getting a little bit of a break, <laughs> even if it's just for a minute, um, just a break to breathe and think. I'm hoping to, you know, get out of town for a little while. Um, once the show opens, my second oldest is going to graduate from her military job training or whatever she's at right, <laughs> right now. And so we'll go to Virginia for that, hopefully get away for a little bit for Christmas um and then other than that I'm really just looking forward to being able to paint whatever I want and you know utilizing the space that I have now to produce some larger things that I couldn't do before um looking forward to spending a little time with my 12 year old who is my only home homeschool child now and so she spends a lot of time here with me <laughs> and so looking forward to hanging out with her a little bit more before she heads off to high school in a couple years so yeah you know I'm simple I'm easy that's awesome no it sounds great well congrats on the success of your Instagram and the upcoming show at Southside we look forward to seeing it and um do you have a website or anything else where people can find you follow along I do. My website is www.adrianbrown-david, no capital letters, dot com. Um, and Instagram, those are the only two places I'm at. I don't do any other social media. <laughs> That's <laughs> so Thanks for listening to this MPB Think Radio podcast. MPB depends on support from listeners. So if you can, please contribute today at mpbonline.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app.